this last weekend has been real, this last week's been kind of difficult uh, for for me and uh, and my family, uh, largely because we have some friends in South Texas, the Mussers, and they lost their 18 year old son tragically and unexpectedly uh, a week ago. We it was actually a week ago Monday. We got the news like at two o'clock in the morning on uh, a Tuesday, and uh, I've just. I just came back from doing the funeral for them in South Texas in Laguna Vista, and um, my, my wife in particular spent some uh, had some crying moments along the way, largely because the musters were very close to us. Uh, we were we were he was one of the pastors that kind of took over after we left. It's a long story, uh, but we were close to them before we left. Um, our kids were similar ages. My son is exactly the same age as their oldest daughter, Madison, and. Um, Isaiah, who passed away, was 18, our daughter's 19, and so our families were close, the kids were similar in age, and so it was a little bit difficult, for sure. And so I, I just have to tell you, today's message is largely for you, hopefully you'll get something out of this, but I'm also hoping that uh, the musters will get something out of this as well, because the reality is, from time to time, darkness just comes over us, you, you, and you can't stop it. Darkness will come over you like... A cold winter's night, and, and you can't stop it any more than you can stop the earth from rotating on its axis, any more than you can stop the planet from orbiting around the sun. It just, it just comes. And some of you, maybe right now, you're in the shadows of darkness, or maybe you're trying to get out of the shadows of darkness, or maybe you're just sort of entering into a season. But if darkness has not swept over you yet in your lifetime, I'm telling you, it will eventually. And so if you don't find this message particularly applicable to you right now, it will be. And there are probably people in your life that you can use the truth of this message to, to help. And so with that, I, I want to direct your attention to probably one of the darkest, if not the darkest, chapter in all of the Bible. This is Psalm chapter 88. There is darkness all over it. There's not a glimmer of light. There's not a smidge of hope. And with that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. Here it is. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to me and hear my cry. That's Psalm chapter 88 verses 1 and 2 and now we'll look at verses 6 through 18. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. 
all day long. They surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. And all God's people said, what is wrong with you people? You, you may be seated. Okay, I'm kind of kidding, but that is, is that not a dark psalm? It's pretty dark. And uh, in the psalms, frequently people will cry out to God for help. They'll, they'll be in trouble and they'll ask God for help. And, and typically, in, in their trouble, they're acknowledging there's danger around me, there's darkness outside of me. And sometimes they'll acknowledge it seems like God is removing the darkness. These external circumstances are starting to change. And, and if that's not the case in the psalms, when people cry out for help, because they're in trouble, they'll notice that maybe God's giving them strength, that there's some light coming from within, and they're going to endure. Uh, typically, in the Psalms, when people cry out for help, and this is very frequent, by the end of the Psalm, at some place, in some way, there's a note of hope, but not in this Psalm. It, it's, it's unlike all the other Psalms, except for one. Psalm chapter 39 also is a very dark Psalm. It doesn't seem to have any hope. In fact, by the end of that psalm, the, the statement comes from the psalmist, God, just turn your face away from me so that I can die in peace. It's pretty dark. Here, darkness is all over the psalm. It's in verse 6, in verse uh, 12, in verse 18, the word darkness appears. In fact, in the Hebrew, the very last word is darkness. The, 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 the last statement goes, my closest friend is darkness, the end. To which we kind of wonder, okay... Why is this psalm in the Bible? Um, did, did, did Jesus not know about how to win friends and influence people? I mean, this is really, really negative. Why is this in the Bible? Is it doing any good? Well, it's in the Bible because it does good. There's a lot of good that this psalm does, and I'm going to mention the four things that we're going to talk about. We're just going to shoot through these one at a time, and I think this will actually be very helpful to you. Uh, the Psalm's doing four things for us. Number one, it's letting us know that darkness can come upon you and that season can last a long time and there's nothing you can do about it. You just need to know that. The second thing that's being communicated here, I think, is that you can know God's grace in darkness. In fact, darkness has the capacity to communicate to you the grace of God in a way that other things cannot. The third major truth here is that darkness has an effect on you that can be positive if you, if you respond appropriately. That is, it can bring out greatness in your life. And then finally, darkness can be relativized. And what I mean by that is something along the lines of, okay, you've got a headache. I'm sorry, Tylenol's on its way. Or, so you have a headache. I'm sorry, but if you were seasick, you'd be wishing you just had a headache. Okay, darkness can be relativized. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's just go through these one at a time. First of all, you've just got to recognize that darkness, external and internal darkness, can come upon you, and the darkness can last a long time. That's just, it's a very simple point to make, but one of the things that is so profound, so interesting here in this psalm, is you've got both of these darknesses that are happening in this man's life at the same time. And he prays and prays, and he believes and believes, and as far as we know, he's doing the right things. But the darkness has come, and the season lasts, and that's just that. Now, oftentimes when we think about darkness, we think about external darkness, that is, circumstances changing, the sun sets, and there's just a season of darkness, or it's wintertime and the days are shorter. We just know things happen. 
Oftentimes in the Psalms, we don't know specifically what's happening in the Psalm, and that's kind of an advantage, because if you don't know too much about the darkness the person is facing, you can personalize it in a way that is entirely appropriate and helpful to you. I've been, uh, I, I typically read, it seems like I'll start a book, then I start another one, then I get back. I'm probably reading 10 at the same time, but one of the books that I'm currently in the middle of is this book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's his, it's his first-hand account. I think he passed away in 1997. He was a Jew, and he survived Auschwitz, and he talks about his survival and the lessons that he was taught. It's a very interesting book. One of the things that he says that is kind of compelling to me is that he says people who survive the death camps, they don't like to share their experiences. They said, we, they say, he says, we don't like to share our experiences because if we share our experience, other people who've experienced it don't need us to share their experiences. They experienced it. And if we share our experiences for people who are outside the death camps, they'll still never understand. They'll, they, they'll never understand how we felt. And they will never understand how we feel now. They just won't understand. There's something about darkness that you cannot enlighten other people to it. Because if you could enlighten them to the reality of your darkness, it wouldn't be darkness. Sometimes you just kind of go, I'm experiencing darkness. Either you understand or you don't. And if you're in darkness, you understand darkness. But until you've been there, you don't know. Now, we don't know that much about the external darkness, but we know two things with regards to this psalmist. His name is Heman. Two, two things. One, he's had friends taken away from him. These, there are these relationships that were important. They've been stolen away. Maybe they've moved. Maybe they've died. Maybe the reputation uh, that he's had has suffered, and, and now his friends don't want to have anything to do with him. But he's lost important relationships. And the second thing is death appears to be imminent for him. So there's external darkness. But you know, as well as I know, you can face almost any external darkness if you've got light within your soul that enables you to endure. One of my favorite movies, it's a really dark movie, but I guess it makes every top 100 list, is Shawshank Redemption. And it's a dark movie, but Andy, who's the main character, he's put in prison, he's an innocent man, he has a terrible experience, but it's the light within that saves him. His friend, Red, played by Morgan Freeman, is, says things like, hope will drive a man insane. Hope is a dangerous thing. And then he's like, no. And you see by the end of the movie, if it weren't for hope, Andy would have died a long time before he actually did. It's hope that kept him alive. And most of us in this room, we recognize it might be really, really dark out there, but if I've got an internal sense of God's presence, if I've got an internal sense of his care and his compassion, I'm going to make it. But here, the psalmist doesn't have an internal sense of God's presence. It's dark outside and it's dark inside. And even though he says God's a savior because he says God saves, he has no sense of God's love, no sense of his care, no sense of his compassion. In fact, he basically blames God for all the waves that are coming upon him of, concerning the wrath of God. He feels trampled underfoot by God. He feels rejected. He feels abandoned. He feels left alone. He is experiencing external darkness and internal darkness. It's by the fact that he prays and prays. In fact, he prays from the beginning to the end. He's always talking to God, and it doesn't seem like he's done anything wrong. But the darkness comes, and the darkness never leaves, and it lasts a long, long time. That's the first lesson. Darkness comes. What are you going to do? To which we say, well, that's a really terrible lesson. Well, we'll get into this. Maybe it's not. Some of us, I know, immediately we want to say, but doesn't the Bible teach that God's got a purpose in everything. 
God works all things together for those who love him for good, for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't God have a purpose in all these things? Yes. But here's the reality. Sometimes bad things happen, like the death of a child, like forced unemployment, like an early retirement, like the loss of a relationship. Sometimes these things happen, and you think God can work all things together, but he doesn't show you the purpose, and you may not know the purpose in the entirety of your lifetime. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen just so we all get the point. You may go all of your life and never have any idea about what the good purpose is. That is what it means partly to be in darkness. When I did the funeral uh, for Isaiah just, uh, well, just yesterday, uh, I preached for about 20 minutes and Hamilton, the dad, stands up at the end and he actually preached for about 30 minutes which sort of surprised me. I don't know if I could do that at my son's funeral. But he talked about God's got a purpose. And I just kept thinking, well, yes, he does. But I doubt in your lifetime you're ever going to be able to see how this is going to work out. And there's a certain darkness wanting to see how it works together. Maybe God, by his grace, will let him know the purpose. Sometimes God does show us in the rearview mirror how he still, in spite of the difficulties and the darkness, worked things together. But Marty, uh, Martin Marty, who was a philosopher, kind of a Christian thinker at the University of Chicago, says that if you're a Christian and you're trying to construct a philosophy of life that's based on the Bible and you want to try to construct a philosophy of life that basically says everything's going to work out like a movie and by the end of your life it's all going to get wrapped up and there's going to be a bow on top, you'd better tear out Psalm 88 from the Bible. You may go through your whole life and not know what in the world is that about. There's a darkness sometimes inside. And it's not uncommon for devoted Christians. I uh, was doing some reading, you know, about this sermon and this text, and I came across something that's kind of interesting I'd forgotten about. You remember Mother Teresa. She's passed away a long time ago. The, the Roman Catholic Church canonized her as a saint about four years ago. What a lot of people don't know is she suffered from terrible depression. You might expect that. That could be the case since she worked among the poor in Calcutta, India, in the midst of leprosy and all of the rest. But not only was her environment around her dark, inside she had no sense of the presence of God. And this lasted for decades. She once said this, People say they are drawn closer to God seeing my faith. Is this not deceiving people? Every time I have wanted to tell the truth that I have no faith. Here's a woman working consistently day after day, year after year, decade after decade doing the right thing without a sense of the internal presence of God and his love and his compassion. Sometimes the darkness can come, sometimes it can settle in, and sometimes it can last a long, long time. And you need to know that. Now you say, why do I need to know that? Well, here's why you need to know that. It's appropriate to have right expectations because your expectations will determine how you experience and process life as it comes at you. Um, I've used this illustration before. It's probably been several years, but, but, I, but I think it's still helpful. If somebody tells you, uh, here's the honeymoon suite, and, and then you walk into the room, you go, that's the honeymoon suite? That's kind of a dump. But if somebody tells you, this is your prison cell, 
you walk into that room and you go, huh, that's not so bad. It's actually pretty good. Your expectations are very determinative in terms of how you process life. And if you do not expect for there to be seasons from time to time where things go dark externally or internally or both at the same time, it'll absolutely blow your life apart. And you'd say, well, I just, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't think God would ever let anything happen to me like this, and I'm going to experience darkness internally, externally. Are you kidding me? Oh, really? You think that you're above Jesus? Jesus didn't go out with laughter in his heart and a smile on his face. If the Son of God isn't going to be spared darkness and crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think really that your life is going to go swimmingly the entirety of your life? No, you need to be prepared for this. The naivete about the reality of trouble and danger is as dangerous as the danger itself. If you are naive and then the time of darkness comes and you're not prepared for the loss when it happens, you will be crushed by it. So that's the first thing that this psalm lets us know. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and we'll come back next week for the rest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, we got, yeah, this is the first time people have said, hey, keep going. We can't stop. Can't stop here, right? Okay, so there's a bright side to the darkness. Okay, there is a bright side of the darkness. Here's the bright side of the darkness. In the darkness, you can behold the grace of God in a way that you maybe couldn't have seen the grace of God. And here's, here's what I mean. You noticed this as I was reading the psalm. This psalmist is holding nothing back. He's not taming his tongue. He's not holding back his emotions. He's not controlling his anger. He's not controlling anything. He is just spewing to God in prayer. And and I got to love this. You have to love this. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? You know what he's saying? He's cross-examining God. He's calling God into question. He's prosecuting God. He's putting God in the dock. Who does that in prayer? You say, well, why in the world is a prayer like that going to be recorded in the Bible? Just the very fact that God allows this to remain in the Scripture by His Holy Spirit and sovereign plan is a testimony to you and to me that God knows how people talk to God when they're desperate and down. And you can, t- but at least the man's talking to God. Look at verse 15. This is, this is astounding as well. From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and, and am in despair. You know what he's doing? He's taking the difficulty of his present and he's looking through that as a lens at the rest of his life. He's taking all of his life and he's compressing it down to this terrible dark moment and he's saying, God, you've never been there for me. And I'd like to declare your praises, but you're giving me nothing to work with. I'd like to talk about your faithful deeds, but you haven't been faithful to me. The fact that God allows this to be in the Scripture is itself a testimony to the graciousness of God. Or put a little bit differently, God does not require this man or you or me to clean up our prayers so that we can come and appropriately talk to God. Now, I'm not endorsing wholesale anger, and if you're not angry, please don't pretend to be. But I, I have to be very careful for myself to protect private prayer time. I do pray with people a lot in different prayer meetings and all the rest. 
But I want there to be a time where I can talk to God alone. And here's part of the reason. I don't want you hearing what I say to God. People have a tendency to hear other people praying like this man and then they judge them. And here's the reality of the situation. God's not religious. You can tell God exactly what you're thinking. And you can tell him how you're thinking, what you're thinking, exactly as you're thinking. And God will accept it because he's not religious. You don't have to atone for your own language or for your own feelings so as to come into the presence of God. Because God will descend into your darkness to hear from you. And at the very least, this man is talking to God from the start to the finish He's talking to God, and he's talking to God honestly, because in his heart, even though he feels like he's not getting anything out of the relationship, in his heart he knows that God is his God, not because of anything that he brings to the table, but because God's just, his God is just his God. That God is entirely gracious. And if you've ever crossed a bridge like that with someone, maybe it's a friend, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it was a teammate, and you just kind of let them have it. And you just kind of, you know, vomited verbal garbage all over them, and you told them how you felt. And it didn't matter if it was true or not, you just did it, and you crossed a bridge, and that friend didn't leave you, and they didn't forsake you, and then all of a sudden you recognize, this is a true friend. This is somebody who's gracious. God is that way times a hundred times a thousand toward you. He is the friend that you need. Even though this man says it doesn't seem like you're being a friend, he knows deep down inside of his heart that God is the kind of friend that he can talk to honestly, unashamedly, without having to atone for his own language and the content of his prayer. And if you've ever gone through a dark season in your life and you've come out the other side, you will look back on those dark times and recognize just how gracious God was to you in a way that you could never have understood if the times are all bright and sunny and blessings continued to flow. There's something else that's actually great about the times of darkness, which is why we have to be really careful, by the way, to not help people cheer up too quickly. I know that's your tendency and my tendency. If you see somebody down, pop out of it, snap out of it, cheer up. And maybe we need friends like that. But God does some incredible things in darkness. And one of the incredible things that God does is he will take you and turn you into somebody great. And here's how this happens. Think about this. This man is at this point in his life where he's getting nothing out of God. He's praying and praying and he's believing and believing and he's just doing the right things apparently, but nothing seems to be happening. He has no sense of God's presence in his life and yet he still is talking to God. If you're in a moment of darkness and you're not getting anything out of God, you come to a fork in the road moment where God can solidify your relationship with him. Let let me, let me see if I can put it to you like this. Back to Viktor Frankl. One of the things Viktor Frankl is famous for saying is you have in life stimulus, you have in life response, and then you've got this freedom between stimulus and response to choose how you're going to respond. The greater the stimulus, the greater the potential response, and the more is at stake in terms of your free will choice. In other words, if you have a tremendous stimulus, 
you can really grow even in a place like Auschwitz. But here's the thing. If you don't respond appropriately to the tremendous darkness, the tremendous darkness will crush you. But there is no stimulus that is stronger than the absence of light. This is what's going on with Job. Remember the story of Job? Satan comes to God and he says, does does Job serve God for nothing? Here's the question. The essence of it is this. Job, kind of representing humankind, that's how Satan's using him as sort of a representative. Job is only serving you, God, for what he's going to get out of you. Here's the reality. He says he's serving God. He says he's serving other people. And the reality is he's just serving you for what you're going to give him. He serves you and you hear his prayers. He serves you because he knows you're going to enable him to escape the grave. He serves you because he's going to feel good about himself and have a peaceful life and all the rest. But he's not serving you, God. He's not serving other people. He's exploiting you. He's exploiting other people. The reality is he's just after what is good for him. God, you're just a means to an end. Does does Job serve God for nothing? He does. He serves you for nothing. And then Satan kind of lays down the, the rules or the guidelines for this test. He says, I'll show you that Job serves you for nothing. You set things up where Job will pray and do what's right and he'll get nothing. He'll pray and pray, and and you're not going to bless him. Take away his material blessings. Take away a sense of your presence. Make his prayers seem like they're just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back in his face. You just don't give him any benefits of a relationship with you. And I'm going to tell you, he's not going to serve you because he's always only been serving himself. He's not a servant. He's just a mercenary. Do you think Satan's right about this? Some of you are like, wait, I just said amen to a terrible psalm. And now you're asking me to agree with Satan. What kind of service is this? Satan's right. I think Satan is onto something. I think most hearts start out really shallow. Why is it that people come to God? Why is it that people come to Christ? Why, do pe- why is it that people say, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be a good person. Because they're thinking... You know, my marriage is on the rocks. I need God to fix this. And, and, and the things that we want aren't necessarily bad, even if it's material wealth. I want to do better in my job, or I need my relationship to improve, and I want this. And so I come to God so as to get what it is that I'm really after. And two things happen a lot of times. People get what they're after, then they drop out on God because God already gave them what they wanted, and they weren't really wanting God. They just wanted what he could give them. Or people will go along with God for a while, and then they go, what is all this? This is doing me no good. I give and give and pray and pray and look at what I'm giving up, look at what I'm doing, and God, you're not filling your end of the bargain. And then people drop out. They come to Christ and the cows quit giving, the, the well dries up, and they go, I'm out of here. This is doing no good. I think Satan's right. I think most people start out very shallow in their hearts toward God. But then the darkness comes for Job. God withdraws his blessing. And Job gets nothing but poverty and loss and boils. And now Job is faced with the reality of, okay, am I going to be in this for God and God alone or am I dropping out? And he stands firm and he he does call God into question. And Job does get angry like the psalmist gets angry. But in the end, you know what happens? Job defeats Satan because he's still with God through all of it even when it's only God who is there and none of his blessings. 
You go through a dark season in your life and you come to this crossroads moment, you come to a fork in the road moment, and you pass the test and you just remain faithful, even when things are bad, even when you're not feeling it, even like Mother Teresa, you're not getting any benefit, you don't sense his presence, but you just press through. You know what happens when you press through and you just love God for God for God and nothing else? You become a person who's unflappable. You become a person of poise. You become a person of substance. You defeat Satan. That's exactly what happens. And then when the clouds lift and the darkness passes, which typically it does, you are a transformed person. Because God meets you in your shallowness and God will meet you in your darkness. That's how gracious God is. He will take you from that shallow using God and exploiting God and bring you to another level. He doesn't expect you to just get there because he's entirely gracious. But God does need to take us there. And oftentimes God takes us where we need to be through the times of darkness. And you look back on the time of darkness as strangely a blessing. It's weird how that works. But when God meets you in your darkness, it demonstrates God can redeem anything, even his apparent absence from your life. It's amazing. There's one more thing that this psalm teaches us, and that is you can relativize the darkness. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. Whenever someone is in darkness, they've lost a son, they've lost a daughter, which this was especially close to us because Isaiah died from a head wound. Our daughter, who is roughly the same age when she was younger, had a head trauma. And we know that if we had gotten her to the hospital 20 to 30 minutes later than we did, Shelby would have died. So it was kind of personal. So if, it, if you're experiencing some sort of loss, and it's traumatic, whether it's a divorce or a forced retirement or something, in that moment of darkness when the light goes out immediately... Before your eyes have adjusted, it just, the darkness looks overwhelming. It just seems total and absolute and maybe even permanent. And that's exactly how Heman feels in this particular passage. God, you've abandoned me. You've never been there. It's all wrath sweeping over me. You're just crushing me. He feels like the darkness is absolute and total. But it's not. And let me tell you how we know that it's not. Heman is mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 6, and we understand that he was the leader of the Korahite guild of musicians and psalmists. And what we know is we have these psalms, the psalms of the sons of Korah in Psalms 40s and then the 80s of the psalms. In fact, some of the most beautiful psalms are of the sons of Korah. Uh, like Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. That comes from the sons of Korah. So what we see is that God actually does have a purpose in the darkness. And in the darkness, here's what happens to Heman. He becomes a man of substance. He becomes an artist. And oftentimes, true artistry, truly beautiful lives have been coal and they get pressured into becoming beautiful diamonds and some of the most comical people that you're ever going to meet and some of the greatest artists that you're ever going to meet have gone through incredibly dark moments in their lives and that's exactly what God does with Heman. He comes out the other side and there are these beautiful psalms. In fact, 
I think Psalm 88 is actually a beautiful psalm because we kind of wonder, do you think that Heman, when he was writing this and praying all of this, thought, hey, one day in Georgetown, Texas, 250, you know, 2,500 years from now, uh, people are going to be reading this and finding some sort of inspiration and help from all this. I doubt he thought any of these things, but God still used him, even though in the moment he thought that darkness was, was, was totally absolute and complete and permanent. Now, here's my question for you, and we're going to end on this. Can you know that the darkness you're in or are about to face, can you know that the darkness isn't actually absolute? That it's, that it's not total, that it's not complete. Can you know that? And the answer is you can. Two ways. One, you've just got the advantage of history. You look back on people like Haman and you go, he thought it was permanent, but it wasn't. But more to the point, There is someone in particular to whom you can look to know that the darkness is not absolute. When you go to Psalm 39 and it ends with someone saying, God, just turn your face away from me, that in peace I may die. Or when you get to the end of Psalm chapter 88 and the psalmist says, my friend is darkness, Does any of that bring anyone to mind? How can it not? In Matthew chapter chapter 27, verse 45, you might remember rather famously when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's darkness that settles over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, when darkness has settled over everything, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the earth shakes and the earth splits open and the graves open and those who are holy rise from the grave for a season. And here's the point of the whole thing. Jesus experienced true, absolute darkness. The darkness and the wrath that Heman only thought that he had, Jesus actually received it. God turned his face actually away from Jesus. The father withdrew his presence from Christ. He was utterly and absolutely forsaken, experienced the total wrath of God. Why? So that we wouldn't have to. So that God would never turn his face away from you or from me. Because here's the reality of the situation. Satan is right. In our fallen nature, we are selfish. We exploit God. We exploit other people. We use other people, and we even use God as a means to an end. We are selfish people. We have an actual darkness that needs to be dealt with, and Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God because of all of the darkness in your life and in my life so that he would never have to turn his face away from you or from me. As I was sitting there listening to uh, Hamilton deliver the message for his son, preaching to everybody about the death of his son, I couldn't help but think about the, the feeling of walking in. He's the one who found his son dead. Walking in and feeling in that moment, like, God, where were you? The, the feeling of forsakenness. And I would probably want to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it dawned on me, well, I might feel that way, and I might actually pray that way. But if I ever do pray that way, and if you ever do pray that way, you can remember this. Before you ever cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did it first. And when you remember that, it changes things. 
That doesn't necessarily mean that you pop out of the darkness with immediacy. But when you recognize that he swallowed the darkness whole for you, it changes things. There's this actually wonderful question in the middle of Psalm 88 that actually Jesus answers. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? And because Jesus died for your sins and mine, the answer is, well, yes. Yes. When you recognize resurrection's coming, when you recognize the restoration of all things that is around the corner, you recognize the dead can be raised and they will rise up and they will praise him in due season. Listen, just because you go through times of darkness doesn't mean that anything is necessarily inherently wrong with you and that you're not saved and all the rest. It doesn't mean that. Just because you're not anticipating that darkness won't come doesn't mean it, it won't come to you. It came even for Jesus. Just be prepared for it. Just recognize that in your moment of darkness you may have questions, but the answers to all your questions may not come. But eventually you'll know the purpose. Eventually. But until you know the purpose of it all, until you see how God makes everything fit together, you focus on the sun and you recognize that in your moment when you feel forsaken, you only feel that way, but you have not been. He has not forsaken you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Father, I don't know what everyone in this room is going through. I don't know the season of every person in this room, but I, I do know this. You are faithful. You are so faithful that even when we complain, even when we judge you, even when we prosecute you, even when in some respects or another, in a backhanded way, we just condemn you, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. Even in the shallowness of our hearts, you don't leave us and you don't forsake us. You descend to where we are, and we are appreciative of that. And we know that grants us a certain permission to actually be honest with you concerning where we are in the moment. Because as we process things through honestly with you, then we begin to get to where it is that you would have us to be. So help us to be honest with you in prayer to acknowledge where we are, recognizing that you are so gracious, you never leave us nor forsake us. We don't have to atone for ourselves. The atonement has happened for us. But Lord, I do pray that you will do what you do in our darkness, and that is make us people of greatness. Help all of us in this room, wherever we may be, to cross certain bridges that we love you for you, that we worship you for you, not for what you bring. And Lord, as you do a work in us, may we be like Heman, may we become artists, may we become diamonds, may we be able to minister your truth and your light into the darkness of other people around us. And ultimately, Lord, we just pray that as we feel forsaken, we will recognize we just feel that way. We are not. That not only do you descend into our darkness to meet us where we are, You have taken the darkness into yourself. And that is astounding to recognize. So, Lord, may we look to you as the ultimate forsaken one for us. May that somehow enlighten our darkness 
And may we look forward to the ultimate day that we know is coming, the day of resurrection and the restoration of all things, when the dead will rise up to praise you. Lord, thank you for the comfort of your presence. Thank you for the challenge of this psalm. May we take it to heart in the best of ways. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.